Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. So we're doing a working definition. I gave you this last week. The working definition of chaos uh, is, is um, complete disorder and confusion. How many could just recall some of those video clips we showed you and remember how it felt to say, man, there is just complete disorder. And, and I don't want to turn this political, but when we've seen the White House, the capital of, of our nation being attacked, how many could have very easily say, that's complete disorder and complete confusion, right, everyone? And it goes on, behavior so unpredictable as to appear random. Okay, so in a culture of chaos, I, I can't preach to those in culture, so I'm going to preach to those that are in the house of God. So that's my mission today. God, uh, God's people or God's church, um, we have some decisions to make. So let me give you a little bit of historical background because we're comparing our culture to the Babylonian culture that happens primarily, we're going to talk about the book of Daniel. You'll notice something today. I'm going to skip over chapter, uh, chapter number three. If you know the Bible, that's where they talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego bowing down. Okay, so everybody's expecting that, so I pulled a whammy on you and skipped right over that chapter. All right, everybody? And we're going to go straight to chapter four. Next week, we're going to come back to chapter three. I know it's out of order, but I want you to understand the mentality first that they were living in before we talk about some of those obvious, more well-known Bible stories, all right? So let me give you some history. So God's people were living in Israel, and, and, and they were starting to become what we might call in our society lukewarm. They had God. God spoke directly to them through the prophets, but they were ignoring God. They were ignoring their pastor, I mean their prophets. And um, they, 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 they were posting crazy things about their party on Friday night on Facebook while lifting hands to Jesus on Sunday morning. I don't know. It's just a weird world they were living in. And the prophets, they continued to warn them to repent. But what was happening is that they were taking their, their freedom and their God for granted, right? Uh, so, so that's what happened. So, so around 586 B.C., the Babylonians came into God's city and seized uh, Jerusalem and, and took the Israelites from Israel, a godly nation, though backslidden or what we might say lukewarm or not fully following God, but we'll still call it a godly nation, and put them as slaves into uh, Babylon. And, and so, in other words, what has happened is they have moved from a godly nation to a culture of chaos. And what Daniel does is then he gives us a model of how to live in a non, what we'll call, Christian nation. We didn't call them Christians back then in the Old Testament, okay? Now, so we have, I'm going to skip that little spot right there, okay? So uh, we, we have some important decisions today as it relates to that. Here's some decisions. Who are we going to be, and how are we going to live in a culture of chaos? It's a really important question for us. You know, who are we going to be, but not only who are we going to be, because most of us, at least in this room and watching online, would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. So, so we're not necessarily ashamed to identify as we're godly, 
But the bigger question is, how are we going to live a godly life in an ungodly nation that, by the way, we are now living in? We are officially, America is officially a non-Christian or a post-Christian nation. Um, now, I'm going to categorize, this is a gross uh, paraphrase categorization, but just for the sake of getting us all together on the same page. So here's what sometimes happens. When we're considering how we're going to live in an ungodly nation, I'm going to break it into just a, two or three groups, okay? We'll call it the church just for the sake that you know that we're talking about as believers and followers of Christ. Um, you guys are messing with me up there. All right, all right. So uh, thank you for that. that. I wasn't talking to you, but thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, so some, some churches would do this. Watch this. Some churches, uh, I'll put it on the screen for you, would choose to execute culture. And when I mean execute culture, it's like I'm against everything in culture. I want to kill everything. I want to execute everything in culture. So we thump our Bibles, quote Bible verses, organize boycotts, have picket signs, and we're against everything the world is doing. While that might be true, how many know we can't execute culture? We just can't get rid of everything that we don't agree with. I know some of us would like to do that, and some of us have made that very obvious on social media, but we can't do that. Because if we try to execute the culture, um, uh, then, then we lose our relevancy. What happens is we expect to be heard in this culture. Christians do. We expect to be heard and we expect to be respected. The problem is, is that culture is no longer listening to what the church has to say. See, we think we still, we, we think that the world still wants to hear us. The world doesn't want to hear us, or they would be in here today. We are, people are no longer just coming to church because it's the thing to do to hear what the preacher or the church is saying. They don't want to hear us, and so we think that we have a voice, and perhaps we've lost the voice because too many Christians have tried too hard to execute the very culture that we live in, that we eat in, that we work in, that we live, build our homes in, right? Everybody following me? Okay, so here's the second group. The second group then might try to embrace the culture. Uh, and, and so by embracing the culture, basically what I'm saying by that, I won't spend a lot of time on this one, is that if we can't beat them, join them. You know, if they won't live the way that the Bible says, then we're just going to live the way they are and somehow justify that. Okay, now here's my, this part is my opinion. If we, if we try to execute the culture, we lose our relevancy. Because you cannot be relevant to someone you've just thrown stones at. They don't want to hear you if they feel like every time they're around you, you're going to judge them or thump a Bible verse to them or tell them why what they're doing is wrong. By the way, you cannot win them by telling them what they're doing wrong. We win them by telling them how much God loves them. Is everybody with me still? All right, so if we try to execute the culture, we lose our relevancy. Watch this. But if we try to embrace the culture, then we lose our influence because we're just one of the gang. We have no influence. We have no voice. We're no longer salt. We're no longer light when we just try to embrace it. See, neither one of these approaches is correct. What I believe is that we, we have to learn how to engage the culture. And when we engage the culture... 
We have to also understand, for those of you that are maybe 40 and older, uh, we have to understand engaging our culture looks different today than it did yesterday. Can I get an amen on that? The Frosted Flakes is the same Frosted Flakes in the box, but Tony the Tiger looks different. (laughs) When I was a kid, he was just this flat football-shaped kind of guy. Now, he looks like Tony's been juicing a little bit, all right? I mean, Tony's like, what's up? It's Frosted Flakes. You know, I mean, it's like, wow. Okay, it's the same product in the church. It's just that we might need to market a little bit different. Come on, are you guys following what I'm saying? All right. So Daniel, he engaged his culture, and he shows us some incredible ways. He was never rebellious to what he didn't agree with, but he learned something very, very interesting. Church, we have to grab a hold of this. We no longer get to be the center of attention and engage our culture, but we have to learn how to engage our culture from the edges instead of from the center. Now, some Christians are already going to criticize me and say, well, you're compromising the gospel. No, I'm not. I'm trying to find a way to make sure the world understands the gospel of Jesus. So what that means is that it's no longer just about what we say. It also means it's about what we do. Because we live in a world that is sick of hearing us say God loves them, but they would like to see that God loves them. And so engaging culture from the edges might not necessarily be from the platform on the street corner saying, you're going to hell, turn or burn. How many know that just really doesn't work, (laughs) right? Did it work for you? No, it didn't work. But from the edges means we can help the homeless. Come on now. We can help those ladies in Colorado City. We can be involved in politics. We can be involved in the arts. We can be involved in education. We can be involved in the branches of our community. Even though it's chaotic, we can be the salt and the light that brings stability to our culture. Can I get an amen on that? Okay. Let let me just make a statement that you need to know. We are no longer, the church is no longer, I know everybody says we were built on a Christian nation. Those pages of history have turned everybody, and you can live back there in chapter 1, or you can get with the program and recognize times have changed, whether we agree with it or not, and we are no longer the center of political and social circles in our world. We just simply aren't. Now, Daniel, he gives us a great model because he didn't just survive in a chaotic culture. He thrived in a chaotic culture. And by doing so, he changed an entire empire while he was in it. Now, that's what I'm interested in. Really briefly now, let's talk about what made Babylon so bad. So Babylon, let me just give you some highlights. Number one, what made them so bad is that they had godly leader, godless leadership. So number one is they had godless leadership. I don't really need to talk about that a whole lot more, right? Nebuchadnezzar was an egomaniac. I mean, he built statues of himself. Okay, I'm not going to say any more. Okay, number two, number two is that they were in a godless religious and educational system. Now, I want you to follow this for a minute. Remember last week I talked about how Daniel and his three friends and some others, but that's the ones the Bible lists, they had to go through a three-year schooling to be qualified to be slaves in Nebuchadnezzar's courts. Okay, so here's a little bit about that religious and uh, uh, educational system. 
is that the core of their curriculum, the schools included a large dose of astrology and the occult in their teaching. So they're teaching these godly boys that God's not real. He's just a little g-god amongst all these other gods. If I could paraphrase it, that Jesus isn't the way. He's just a way amongst a lot of other ways, which is totally contrary to what Jesus already said. I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the light. Right, everybody? Okay. The, the, the third thing that made their uh, Babylon so evil was that it was a spiritually hostile environment. I'm not going to repeat this one a lot because I spent the bulk of my time last week talking about this. But the, the, their society was trying to re-identify them. Okay? Remember, we talked about the name changes. If you weren't here, let me give you one. Uh, Daniel, his name means God is my king. Well, when he got captured and brought into Babylon, they changed his name to Belshazzar, which means lady, serve your king, little K, king. Okay? So they are trying to change his identity and, and where he gets his identity. Uh, let me just throw this out there. It brings gender confusion when you, you, when you are now being called something opposite of what you, God created you to be. Okay? All right. Um, now, that shows up even more in the fourth thing that made Babylon so e evil is that Daniel would suffer indignity. Now, I, I wrote it like this because I didn't want to put in the bold letters or even in print what made it so uh, bad for him. What we don't know through reading the Bible, but we do know through reading history, particularly Jewish history, is this. He and his friends suffered the indignity of castration. So they took these young, healthy boys and castrated them, and they were turned into eunuchs, which even makes their renaming of them just e even more. So there's indignity, there's embarrassment, there's, there's a number of things about that that I really don't want to get into here right now. And again, Scripture doesn't say that, uh, but Jewish history and ancient history, you can find that that was the custom of those times. Uh, they were going to work in the palace. There's a lot of uh, harems and women in the... Anyway, you get the picture. All right. So, now, this makes Babylon... This is just four things that makes Babylon so bad and so evil. And here's these godly boys living in an ungodly culture. Okay? Now, we all have our ideas of why our culture is ungodly. If I pass the microphone around, it, we would hear everything from, we got the wrong president, and we got the wrong financial structure, and we got the, and, and I mean, it, it would just, it would go all over. It, 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 there would just be a variety of how come we think as Christians why America is bad. And I grew up hearing enough preachers' opinions about why America is bad and spending the bulk of time telling me why our culture was bad versus why God is good. And America might be bad. I'm not here to say whether it is or not. I'm just glad that in this same America, I get to drive to church today, read out of a Bible today, lift my hands to God today, and hear about a God that loves me. That's not too bad. And so we all have ideas of why our culture is going crazy. I mean, you can turn on preachers and hear it. You can listen to Christians. You can tune into social media, and we'll get a wide variety of why culture is so chaotic. But I want to bring it down to one root problem, all right? And I don't think this is my opinion. I think I'm pretty solid 
on a biblical foundation to boil it all the way down and expose the single culprit is what's happening in the world and in culture. And it's rooted in the Babylonian mentality. Okay, now this is where I struggle because I'm going to start using words that are like, what is he talking about, all right? Okay, so Babylon was a physical geographical place. It is no longer a physical geographical place other than it's still on the map. It's, if you looked at a map, it's where modern-day Iraq is today, okay? But it's not called Babylon, okay? And, it, and, and so it's not, and, and it's not even Iraq that I'm pointing at, so please know that, okay? I'm not pointing to a place physically or geographically, but when I talk about Babylon, Babylon being the, the culprit, it's a mentality that I want to talk about. Because the mentality we got to grasp and understand, because that Babylonian mentality that caused chaos in that culture is the same mentality that is running free on the shores of our nation today, everybody. And so I want us to be able to look at this mentality so we understand that the chaos is not coming from somebody in a White House or another government position. So we ought to quit throwing stones at them and understand we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, mentalities, and powers of this dark world. Come on now. All right. So now, I know we're supposed to be in the book of Daniel, but we're going to go way back to see where the root of the mentality comes from. It comes all the way from page number 27 in your Bible, all right? Well, I don't know what Bible you're reading, but it comes in the third chapter. Right after the book of contents comes the book of Genesis, all right? Some of you will catch that later. All right, so let's go to Genesis chapter number 3, verse number 1 through 5. Here's where Babylonian men mentality is birthed. Watch this. Now the serpent, which is the devil, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, now watch this. Here, watch the mentality start being birthed. It, it, it starts, I mean, they haven't even had a couple of nights together, and all of a sudden the devil's right in the midst of paradise. Okay, watch. He said to the woman, watch the question. I, I highlighted the question mark. Because the first thing that the Babylonian Empire, the first thing that this mentality will do is cause you to start doubting what God has said. Will cause you to start doubting whether God is real. Will cause you to start doubting whether God is gracious. Come on, watch the question mark. Here's the devil. Did God really say can, can you almost see the emphasis? Did, did he, I mean, come on. Did he really say, right? Did he really say, you must not eat from the tree in the garden? Question mark. He begins the seed of doubting. All right? Culture is doing that right now. Trying to get you to doubt the goodness of God. The greatness of God. The, 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 that God is still relevant today. Tell me I'm right about it, yeah? Okay, number, verse number two. The woman, now watch what she says. This is very interesting too, and i got to make sure I don't stop and preach all these points. Watch what she says. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from, we may eat from the, uh, the fruit from the trees in the garden. That's truth, okay? Go to the next verse. But God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. So far, everything she's quoting is what God says. 
But then watch this next line she adds in here. And you must not touch it. God never said you couldn't touch it. But she added that in there. Now, I'm not going to preach this phrase, but I thought it was at least noteworthy. Because isn't that part of what makes chaotic culture mad at the church? Is when we say things and add things to what God has said that really didn't come from, oh, come on now. See, 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 that's where legalism, and that's where condemnation, and that's where all of that churchy, nasty, condemnation, religion. There's the first sign of legalism, because it's whenever we take a godly principle and add our own personal twist to it. That's what Eve did right there. She didn't know the problem she would start, but that's what she did, all right? And she says, or you will die. If you don't do church the way we do church, you will die. If you don't do church the way we do church, if you don't listen to these verses, if we, we're going to execute your culture because otherwise we will die. Are you following me? All right, watch this. Notice I didn't give you a chance to answer. All right, here we go. You will not certainly die. There's the first lie, Babylonian Empire. You won't die. Come on, man. But here's the bigger secret. Watch this. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows. Now watch the creativeness here of the enemy. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. Uh-oh, revelation, education. I'm not saying education is evil, by the way, all right? And you will be, there it is, there's the Babylonian Empire. You will be like God. You will be great. You can accomplish anything. Knowing good and evil. All right, let's unpack this. First of all, it's a lie the Babylonian myth is a lie, and it questions God, and it elevates you. Did you see that in Genesis 3? It questions God. How could God, how could God allow there to be cancer? How could God allow people to be born with uh, birth defects? How could a loving God stand by while planes crashed into the World Trade Center? How could God, it begins to cause you to doubt God and elevate you? Tell me that's not the culture we live in. The culture of, I can do it. I can do it. And, and, and we got self-helps right now is the biggest thing selling in the world because everybody's trying to find a way to elevate and get up above it. It's a lie. Here's what the Babylonian myth says. The Babylonian myth says, I'm about you, the devil speaking or the culture speaking, I'm about you, God is about himself. That's the Babylonian myth, and it's running rampant in our culture. The myth of culture is saying, I'm all about you. I'm all about you getting more money, getting better jobs, getting more education, elevating, doing better than the previous generation. And there's nothing wrong with that until we sit on the seat of the throne of our heart rather than God sitting on the seat of the throne of our heart. So it, 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 it's very subtle. It's all about you. And, and God, he's really not for you. He wound this world up and just let you fend for yourself. That's the Babylonian mentality. Okay? Uh, it, 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 it's the same thing being promoted today. It's all about you, elevate you. Uh, if God, God is bad, and you hear the questions all the time. You're out there in, in the workplace. What kind of God would... Okay, let's take it a little bit further. Go with me to Genesis uh, chapter number uh, 11. We'll take it a little further. Then they said, see if you don't see the same mentality. I'm going to give you a clue because I highlighted it, all right? 
Come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Watch this. So that we can make a name for ourselves. That's the Babylonian. Now, if you own a business, of course you want to make a name for your business, all right? But what this is really saying is so that we can be all powerful. So that we don't have to answer to anybody. All right, so that's what it's saying there. Otherwise, we, well, I don't need to read the rest. You can read the rest on your own. Okay, so here's what the devil is banking on. The devil is banking on this whole strategy. He's banking his whole strategy on self-interest and making sure we are trying to survive. Paul said, I don't have to survive. To die is gain. During these last two years, have you noticed everyone's scammering to survive? And I don't mean survive physically. I mean survive my opinion. Survive my political party. I either know I'm stinking at what I'm doing right now, or I'm really standing on some toes right now, or you're really thinking right now. When it gets quiet, it means everybody's thinking, all right? It's like we're trying so hard to prove our point. You don't have to survive. We don't, we don't have to survive. But the Babylonian Empire says you have to. Now watch this. The word Babylonia Babylon comes from the word Babel. They were building a tower of Babel. The word Babel means confusion. Okay, follow the train of thought. I'm almost out of the dark side of this sermon. All right, everybody? There's light at the end of the tunnel. If you follow the Babylonian myth, the Babylonian culture, if you follow, it will produce confusion in your life. If you follow the ways of culture rather than the ways of God, it will always lead to confusion in your life. That's why right now America is in a culture of chaos. It's Babel all over again. It's confusion. It's false information. It's false narratives. It's leaders that are hard to believe. Come on, tell me I'm right. Isaiah was prophesying to him at this time. Watch what he said. Isaiah, uh, all right, we'll turn the corner here in just a minute. Isaiah, during this same time, he's prophesying. He's telling them, watch out, guys, watch this. You have trusted in your wickedness, and you have said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and knowledge mislead you when you say to yourselves, I am, and there is no one beside me. That's what he's saying to the Babylonian Empire. You think, culture, you're all that, that you are, and there's none beside you, that you're the greatest nation? <sighs> right? Babylonians' motto is, I am, and there is none beside me. I am smarter than God, and, and, and Babylon, Babylon, here's what it does. It self-elevates. It comes from being in a self-adoring kind of a generation, <laughs> Self-building, I can do life without God. Self-indulging, humanistic, hedonistic, <laughs> all right? It's all about self. If it feels good, do it. And while you're doing it, post it, you know, all right? Okay. It's not an, and it's not enough just to elevate you. Here's what the Babylonian myth does. It doesn't just elevate you. It's working really hard to lower your view of God. Make him bad. Make him mean. Make him a mean judge. And if we're not careful, Christians are adding to this when we say, and don't touch it either. Come on now. All right? Okay. So Babylon will tell you that God doesn't love you. And, and okay. All right. So there's, there's the culture part of it. Now let me show you the shift. 
The shift is during this time, you'll see Daniel. He's going to go through four kings. He's still in the first king that he's under during this, this uh, slavery time. And uh, this captivity time, I should say. So, so Nebuchadnezzar is the one setting the culture. Now we're jumping into Daniel 4. Follow me just a couple more minutes on this. So here's what Nebuchadnezzar says. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. Now hold on. Culture doesn't know anything's wrong. Culture is contented and prosperous. As long as we can go to our jobs, as long as money is flowing, I'm content as, as long as I'm living in a nation that is content and prosperous, then it doesn't matter what culture is doing because I'm just sitting back, contented, prosperous, and watching Netflix. Come on, everybody, right? Content and prosperous. It sounds like somewhere I've been before. Yeah? Um, Nebuchadnezzar then, he shifts from being content and prosperous to now he's going to reap what he's sowing, and he's going to live in this very same chaos that he's created. Now, here, I want you to hear me, all right? So he has this wild dream in Daniel chapter 4. Um, and in Daniel chapter number 4, nobody can interpret this crazy dream he has. He calls in all his magicians and astrologers and tells them, hey, I need you to interpret the dream. But he won't tell them what the dream was. He says, part of interpreting it, you got to tell me what I dreamed. And if you don't, I'm going to cut you up into little tiny pieces and spread you throughout the field. <laughs> wow, what a leader, all right? This is in the Bible, everybody, okay? I'm not, like, making this up. Okay, so finally Daniel comes along, and he interprets the dream. I know I'm in the weeds here a little bit. You know what? And even if you're not into everything I'm saying right now, just hang in there for a minute because i got three good points that will put a smile on your face, all right? You're looking kind of gloom right now. Wow, the world sucks. What is happening? I know. I've been trying to tell you that, all right? But God's good. Okay, here we go. Daniel chapter number 4. So Daniel interprets this dream that he has. You can read about it. I'm not going to take the time. Here's what Daniel says to the king that brought him into slavery. <laughs> you will be driven away from people, and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. All right. I like this dream, okay? Seven times will pass by you. I'm going to talk about seven a lot in the messages to come. Uh, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms of the earth. In other words, you're going to have to live in the very chaos that you created, and that chaos will get so intense that you're going to be out in the field eating grass like an ox. And the Bible goes on to say seven years. He goes out there, his hair grows long, his fingernails grow long. He looks like a wild beast out there eating grass in the field because now Nebuchadnezzar is having to live in the very same culture that he agreed with and that he promoted and that he created. Because the Bible will not be mocked. What you sow is what you're going to reap. Come on, everybody, right? Okay, so that's what happens, all right? Uh, is that all I have? Give me something else if I got anything else. I think that's it. Okay. Uh, oh, there it is. All right. The command, okay, but watch this. As Daniel's telling him all this, here's one thing he says to him. This is important. The command to leave the stump. In other words, God's saying, I'm going to mow you down, Nebuchadnezzar, but I'm going to leave a stump. There's a little trace of grace right there. That God will never annihilate us so much that he doesn't leave us the opportunity to rebuild and regrow. Come on. God will never take us so far down that he, there's not enough grace in there to rebuild you 
Sometimes he just has to allow us to come down so that we, he can take us up. All right? I just wanted you to see that. Okay. Now, so all that happens just like Daniel said. Let me fast forward you. Now, you've probably never heard a preacher use Nebuchadnezzar as the three positive points you're going to get today. But Nebuchadnezzar had revival after eating grass for seven years, everybody, all right? Okay, so, so he came to Jesus, right? A lot of people come to Jesus after a tragedy. And so he comes to Jesus. Well, he didn't really come to Jesus, but you get the point, all right? And he makes a proclamation, and it's where I want us to land this morning. I want to look at three things that he says that will help us survive in a culture of chaos. I know you want me to preach Daniel in the lion's den, but today you got Nebuchadnezzar, all right? So here we go, Daniel 4. Here's what happens. Verse number 36. At the same time that my sanity was restored, this is Nebuchadnezzar talking, after all these years, long fingernails, crazy hair, eating grass, living out there wild, howling at the moon, I made that part up. Okay, verse 37. Watch what he says. There's three things he says in here. Now I... Nebuchadnezzar praised and exalt and glorified the king of heaven, number one. Then he says, because everything he does, now he's, he exalts him, he acknowledges him. Watch this. Because everything he has done is right and all his ways are just. He acknowledges God. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Those cultures, those societies, those people that walk in pride. God has this way. Letting you be out in the field eating grass and growing long fingernails, right? Because his ultimate goal is not what you go through on this temporary culture. His ultimate goal is that you would turn and exalt him and that you could experience his love and his grace and get from him what you could never get, what you thought you would get out of culture. Amen? Amen? Okay. Ah, I'm out of time again. But these last five minutes is going to be worth it. So listen in. Here's the three things that he said. I'm making these up, but you, you can find all three right here. I'm just making the terminology up, okay? Here's three I will statements that he makes right here that will help you live in a culture of chaos. Number one. Number one is I will exalt God. If you will exalt, exalt God. Listen, all this speaks of, everybody, is priority. God has got to become priority in our life. Not, well, you know, God cannot be a box amongst all the other boxes that we have. Well, we got our this club, and we got our job box, and we got our family box, and we got our hobby box, and we got our dating box, and we got our marriage box, and we got our God box. No, God is the box that all those other boxes go into, and He is the priority, and we exalt Him, right? Church is not just something that we do and come to if we don't have anything else to do. He is a priority in our life. God has got to be number one. I used to hear preachers say this, and I hated it, and I hate that it's getting ready to come out of my mouth. And, but here it is anyway. If you want to see if God is priority in your life, just check your checkbook. Check your date book. Does he have the best of your money? Does he have the best of your time? Is he really a priority in your life? Psalms 145, verse number 1, just put it up there. I'm not going to read it, okay? But next week, I'm going to talk to you about this. If we don't exalt God, we will bow to culture. We'll sit here and go, how chaotic is culture while we're worshiping the very culture that we're calling chaotic if we don't stand for God? Okay, exalt simply means to lift him higher than our problems, 
higher than society, higher than culture, higher than the issues, he's still on the throne, okay? He says, I will exalt God. Here we go, number two. Number two, here's the second I will. I will acknowledge God. Nebuchadnezzar, after this season, he acknowledges God. Wow. Here's what acknowledge means. Check this out. Acknowledge. Accept or admit the existence or truth of something. The truth of something. Remember, he's teaching these boys astrology. He's teaching these boys the occult. He's teaching them about the little g-gods. He's brought the things from their culture and their church and put them in his false god temple. And now he's saying, wait a minute, I need to acknowledge that he is the truth. He is the way. I hope you don't come to church for self-helps just to get along better and that you're trying to blend this teaching with another teaching and the other teaching. Jesus is the way. We have to acknowledge that there is no way to the Father, but through his name, everybody is Jesus, right? Come on. The Bible says this. That's important because we're, we're, we're starting to adapt this mentality. Oh, whatever works for you. No, that's what creates chaotic culture. It's not whatever works for you. It is what Jesus has told us at the risk of sounding old-fashioned, all right? The Bible says in all your ways acknowledge him. Listen, come on, would you say it with me? I am here because of God. I am saved because of God. I am here because of his love for me. I am here in in my right mind, standing before you because of his amazing grace. Come on, everybody. My life is the Lord's. Watch this. I love how Paul says to the church of Corinth about this. He says this. He says, what are you so puffed up about? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if all you have is from God, why act as though you have accomplished something on your own? This is Paul's way of saying, acknowledge God. Mm, yeah, but I got a good job. I make a lot of money. Who gave you the ability? Who opened the door? Right, everybody? Okay, number three, before I get too carried away. Number three, I will exalt God. Number two, I will acknowledge God. Number three, I will humble myself. Here's all I'm going to say to our chaotic culture. Humility's coming. And you can either humble yourself or you can be humbled. And I've had the privilege of doing both. And humbling myself is a whole lot better than being humbled. You, you ever, I had my grandmama tell me one time, go out there and cut a switch off the tree and bring it back in here so I can whip you with it. Huh? I was like, uh, let's see, is that humbling myself or being humbled? I, I don't know. Huh? All right? <laughs> and I wasn't doing anything wrong, of course. She was wrong. I don't know what her problem was. All right? The Bible says pride goes before fall. Pride. Don't be a part of the Babylonian myth that says, I can make it. I'm good. No, I, I don't know about you. If you can make it, wonderful. I can't make it. People say, oh, you, Jesus is a crutch to you. Yeah, because I got broken legs. Yeah, he, he is a crutch, all right? James 4.10 says it, and then I want to close with one little thing. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. These three little points, I spent real fast on them, but they are powerful points. Now, way back there, I said something about the Babylonian myth. It says we'll make a name for ourselves. All right? I want your heart right here, not your head. So put your notes away for just a minute. I want to close with this. Give me my little graph here. I'm going to close with this as fast as I can. And, and let's just start. Uh, Jake, you'll need to help me out on this one. Um, when we start off in life, here's what happens. Sp imagine yourself starting a business. 
I'm going to be very transparent, almost to the point of being embarrassed of how I started off in ministry. Okay, I want you to see these titles. I want to make, and it should be, hold on one second, I'm not ready for that. Uh, who's, who's good and who's the enemy? Okay, so we start off in life. Remember the Babylon me- mentality. We're going to make a name for ourselves. Okay, we start off in life and says, I want to make a name. Imagine yourself starting a business, starting off in life. You're young, you're full of energy, you're Daniel, you're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you start off in life and you say, I want to make a name for myself. And so in order to make a name for yourself, you have to convince everybody else that I'm the one who's good. Well, I'm the one that is good. You guys with me? I'm good. My company's good. I'm going to make a name for myself. All the other companies are bad. When you watch the Super Bowl today, you're going to see companies and commercials doing that to everybody else. We're the best insurance. All the rest of them are stinkers, all right? Okay? Which means the enemy then, watch this, give me this, is everyone else. I'm good, and and, and I'm going to make a name, so I'm good. That means everybody else is bad. If I'm in the insurance company, my company is good, we're the best, everybody else is bad, all right? Then we mature a little bit, and then we go to this level, and we want to make, now we don't just want to make a name for ourselves, we mature a little bit and say, I'm going to make a difference. Now, ladies and gentlemen, lean into this just a minute, because there are some disadvantages to having an old pastor is that I'm not as cool and trendy, but there are some advantages to having an older pastor that I've lived long enough to been through this stuff, and it's a Babylonian myth. And then I did church this way for a little bit, where I got up and told everybody, we're going to make a difference. Woohoo! And everybody rallied, yeah, we're going to make a difference. Well, who is good? Well, we are good. All of us. We're the good group. Listen to me. We're the good denomination. We're the good church in town. We don't say it, but we're the best church in town. You know, we're, we're the best church. And that means that everybody outside of our belief system is the ones that are bad. That's where we start criticizing society Because we want to make a difference, and we're good, and culture is bad, because they don't believe like, talk like, act like, think like we do. They never signed up to live the way we signed up to live. And so the world has got to stop being the enemy, everybody. Every person in office that you didn't vote for has got to stop being the enemy. The devil is the enemy. The Babylonian myth is the enemy. Come on, man. We can't love people that we're throwing stones at. So then we get to this level. So then I start realizing, well, I'm not good. And everyone outside of my belief circle isn't bad. You know who really is bad? Satan is bad. The devil is bad. We wrestle not against people. I know sometimes it's hard to remember that. If I could punch the devil in the mouth, I would, but I punched Bob in the mouth. I don't know what the problem is. But everyone outside my belief isn't bad. The atheist isn't bad. The Muslim isn't bad. Jesus died on the cross for them too. It's Satan that is bad. And and who is good? Well, I'm not good. I'm not good. I know you amen that pretty loud, but look around. You're not good either. But you know who is good? God is good. Now hold on. Don't put this one up until I ask. 
when we recognize that it's beyond I, I want to make a name and I'm good and everyone else is bad, and we'll mature a little bit, and even churches will do church this way. Who we're going to make a difference in our community because we are good and all the other churches aren't good. That's why we're going to make a difference in our community. That's a terrible Babylonian myth. But when we recognize this is the only way we can fight culture, everybody, when we recognize only Satan is bad and only God is good, that's when we don't make a name and we don't make a difference. We make history. And that's what I want us to do, is make history in a world that has gone chaotic. Come on, would you give the Lord a good hand clap? I got to stop right there. Okay.